Or bless them and keep them. Praise God. Amen. Well, thank the Lord that he's with us. The book of Acts, as you have discovered, and maybe you've already known this, is where the action is. Right? It's like the gospel, because the gospel work continues through the disciples. And it is moving and shaking and baking. And the book of Acts shows us how, where, and when, and with whom, God kept moving to build his church and establish it, and then to continue the ministry and work of Jesus on this planet. And it gives us a guideline. It gives us a history of that. It gives us a bit of the chronology of how the church was developed. And last Sunday, in the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through, through 10, we examined really one of the first major healings of a lame beggar. Here was a man who had been lame from birth, begging at the temple gate, and what happens? There's an encounter with, with Peter and with John. And instantaneously, through the power of the name of Jesus, this man who had been born lame, because John and Peter declared to him to stand up and be healed in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. This man stood up. Not only did he stand up, he leaped up. And not only did he stand up and leaped up, he prays in the Lord, and he's hanging on to Peter and John. And, and that created quite a commotion. A commotion that caused Peter to begin to speak again on his second sermon. This man who had held his tongue before the Holy Spirit came, now is a man who is ready to speak whenever the opportunity arose. And all these folks are wondering, how could this happen? What happened to this beggar that this lame beggar who was one minute, been lame from birth, shriveled up, and the next minute is standing erect, strong, and leaping and praising God. What's going on? So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn it to Acts chapter 3. Let's read about this account and this message that Peter launches into based upon or as a result of this miracle. This miracle is kind of his introduction. And so we start in verse 11. And while the man held on to Peter and John, and all the people were astonished, and they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, when Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, because remember, these are folks who had gathered um, for Pentecost. And they had been around. This was a festival, and so they were been worshiping. And so he says to them, Fellow Israelites, because they were, they were fellow Israelites. Why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? The God of Jacob, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. 
Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. He, he would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he had promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets have spoken and have foretold of these days. And you are heirs of the prophet and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. May God add his blessing to his word. What a great passage. What a great message that Peter launched into. But interesting message. Why was Peter's exclamation uh, of this, this unexplainable event, why was it the right explanation and the right approach when he launched in to this message? Why was it the right approach in explaining this unexplainable thing to these people who were standing in, amazed, in amazement and wonderment about this man born lame who was healed. Why was it? Why was it? You ever wondered how you're to approach people as a witness? How you're to approach people when things happen that are unexplainable with God? This kind of gives you a bit of an outline of how to, to really meet them where they're at. And we want to talk about that a little bit today. We know right away that this instantaneous healing of this man, it caught everyone's attention. Don't you know that's what happens when miracles occur? You get people's attention. Now, you sometimes only get it for a moment, but at least you get them to pay attention and to look and to wonder. Think about it. Would it have caught your attention? If you were to have walked in every day into worship or had come to the temple every year at that particular time, and you had seen this beggar there for years... You know, when you're born lame, your legs are shriveled up. They've atrophied. There's not much there to them. You know, so his feet, his ankles, his legs, there wasn't much there because they hadn't been used. But all of a sudden, you see this same man who you saw with legs that didn't work and were completely atrophied. They're no longer atrophied. This man is standing with feet and ankles and legs that look like they could hold anybody. Now that'll get your attention, won't it? It'll get your attention. You know, some of us, like me, I, I've got legs, I use my legs all the time, but they're hard, it's hard for me to even jump, let alone leap. And, and I wouldn't be jumping around leaping like that. But this man is. And they're noticing that, and so they're wondering what is going on. And then this man's countenance had been sullen, it had been cast down like many of the street people that we see 
But now this man is walking and leaping. He's staring into the eyes of people. He's looking at people where he never looked at them before. And he's beaming as he loudly praises the Lord with confidence. Before he had no confidence. And now he has confidence. Oh my gosh. I had a kid in my youth group just that, that the change in her resembled this. For all the years in one youth group that I had, I tried to pull her off the wall. Her parents worked at the church, but she was so quiet. And she would come in as a middle schooler, because I was a middle school pastor, and she'd pretty much plant herself against the wall. And she just wanted to be an unknown, no one pay attention to me, no one talk to me, let me just kind of get through this, because I'm hurting, and I don't have any confidence to talk about any of that, and I have absolutely no faith because I totally live inside myself, in my own room, in my own darkness. And I would work every single week to try to pull her off that wall. You know me, man. I'd go talk to her. I'd ask about everything in the sun. I'd joke with her. She, she'd give me little thises, give me little thats. But boy, I could not get her to say more than a few words and could never get her off the wall to participate. And that's the way she went through middle school. Well, she kind of roamed through high school pretty much that way. Then she went to college, one of our, our state schools. Eh, it's, they have a good basketball team, so that'll tell you which one she went to. So she goes there, and she's about ready. She runs in and starts dating a, a person with a different faith, a different world religion. And for the very first time in her life, she begins to question this faith, but she, she wasn't living by any faith. But she began to question God and how to live for God, how to, how to know God. And she was on the verge of going to get married to this person of a different faith, and she was saved. And once she was saved, obviously that wasn't going to happen because those two religions, I'll just say, without naming it, are in opposition to one another. And then... As God saved her, he transformed her. She calls me one day. She's now a missionary, reaching students on campus. When she talked to me, I couldn't hardly believe I'm talking to the same young woman who'd once been a middle schooler and a high schooler and never said two words. We meet together for coffee, and she's just smiling and beaming. Oh my gosh, the transformation was amazing. I... I said to her, and I'm not going to say her name, I said, what happened? What in the world happened to you? She goes, well, let me tell you what happened to me, because I knew you were, one of the you were one of the major persons in Wichita. I wanted to let know what happened to me. And she tells me how she came to faith in Jesus and how Jesus set her free from her sin, from her pain, and transformed her, and how she embraced his call to be a missionary to students on campus. And so she got involved, and that's what she was doing. And our church actually supported her for a while. But she goes, I realize I've got a disease. It's a certain one. Her sister had it. Her mother had it. And uh, she died young. And she goes, I may not live. I may not live real long. <laughs> but I'm going to live for Jesus. And so she got married. She was living for Jesus. She 
she was turning people to Jesus, and then she passed away at a young age. Um, Lord bless her and bless her heart. But such an amazement. It, it just caught your attention. Everyone who saw her then, who knew her back then, were so amazed that they had to know why. And they asked questions, why? They had to know why. It's important to pay attention. It's important, you know, and, and we do pay attention when miracles happen. See, Peter was paying attention to these people who ran up to him. He was paying attention to their body language. He was paying attention to the nature of their verbal responses. He was looking at their eyes and their facial expressions. And he discerned in the crowd that something was happening. These people were drawing wrong conclusions about him and John and about how this great miracle occurred. And so one, he realized a couple things when he looked at them. And here's one, they're, they're getting wrong conclusions, but here's one. They have absolutely no expectations that miracles could or would occur. They had none. These people knew the Word of God. These people had worshipped steadily, and yet they had no experience or no real belief in a God who acts miraculously on behalf of man. And that miracles actually do happen. And so Peter right away saw that. These people don't believe really what they're reading or what they know. It, it is just a religion. Two, they were teetering on hero worship, as if Peter and John were some kind of superhero with superpowers and, and could just raise people from the dead, could raise people who had been lame, who could maybe, who, who knows what else they could do in giving wisdom and, and insight into life. Now, there are evangelists and preachers even today, they would never claim to heal anybody in their own power, uh, but they give the impression that people are healed, and it happens because they're so spiritual. They're so godly. Um, they're so close to God. I hope you don't ever get that impression from me, because I don't want to ever give that impression, but there are folks that give that impression you know, yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, your prayers don't work, but mine do. My prayers work. And sometimes people, I have felt, kind of gave me that feeling. You know, that, you know, if they pray for something, eh. But if I prayed for it, they get it. Mm. That's not, they don't want that impression. You, and I'm not going to give it to you. And if you ever say that to me out loud, we're going to have to talk. Okay? Because that's not how it happens. I want you to know something. Peter knew that it was all Jesus and nothing of him. He knew that. And he was just a privileged partner of God Almighty who wanted to give a blessing to, to a needy and desperate man. And it was God Almighty who did that, not man. And so Peter wanted to rectify these things, but he paid attention to where his audience was at. He read them. So what does he do? Peter doesn't want them to adopt this false ex, uh, expectation or explanation. Uh, and so he asked them an appropriate question. And questions are so important to ask people if we're trying to witness to them. Not only do we need to read where they're at and understand where they're at and know who they are, because Peter did. He knew who they are. They were Israelites. They were religious people. He knew where they were at. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't think they had, but they didn't have 
any practical experience with God Almighty. They were just maybe head Christians or, or head worshipers or whatever. And so he knew the new covenant had come. It was time to bring these people into becoming people who worshiped in spirit and in truth and actually encountered God. And so we asked them questions, and questions can get us to ponder. They can get us to think. They can get us to evaluate what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, and the conclusions we're drawing. And we have to keep asking questions. It moves us to truth, but it also exposes misperceptions and even lies that we're believing. Because you and I will have experiences, and we'll draw the wrong conclusions. Somebody say amen to that. We will. We'll draw wrong conclusions about people we experience or about things we experience. We'll draw wrong conclusions and misperceptions about God, about the church, about the world. And so we have to stay constantly out in the light so we're not just living inside ourselves. We've got to let other people interact with our ideas and our thoughts and we have to let other people question us. And we need to let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God question us on whether we're really seeing things correctly and understanding them correctly. I had a bunch of examples of those things, but now they're escaping me. So we're going to kind of move on unless they come back to me. But you know you do it all the time, right? Peter begins, fellow Israelites. So he knows who he's speaking to, and he knows that they have some knowledge, but they don't have complete knowledge. But these people should know the history of their people. These people should know the history of God's experience with them. And that God always had a habit of breaking into history and performing great miracles and deliverances and healings time and time again. In fact, many of them witnessed Jesus do the same thing over and over again while he was living among them. See, we sometimes think that this is just kind of, this is all fairy tale stuff or whatever. It's a historical fact Jesus lived. These people at the time could have disputed what had happened here, but they didn't. And you know why I know that? And why they had to listen to him? Because it tells us in Acts 4.4 that the church grew from the 3,000 who first came to Christ, and they wouldn't have come if there wasn't really anything to the story or no foundation to it. And now it grew to 5,000. Because there is a foundation for their faith. And so they're paying attention, but they didn't know. They didn't pay attention. In the entirety of Peter's message, he uses this word you over and over again because these people ought to know, but they didn't know. Why is that? Again, Peter, reading the crowd, knows his audience, and he's asking these right questions to get them to think about why they don't know. And so it shows us that it's important to ask questions because we need to help people journey to the answers and to truth. So here Peter's doing that, but once he reads this crowd and once he asks his questions, he boldly lays out a series of facts that confront his crowd with their own guilt. Because he knew he needed to. I, I've just told you, why don't you know? You don't know, but now here's the other part of it. You don't believe in miracles. You don't know what the scriptures teach. You're not experienced it. 
But now I'm going to go even deeper into your heart, you fellow Israelites, my brothers, because you need to know this. He makes them feel guilty and experience guilt. Now, modern psychologists, at least in some circles, would say that's the worst thing you do if you're going to try to help somebody. You don't arouse their sense of guilt within them. You don't make them feel guilty, because if you do, you shut the door to really helping them. And some people will say that. And that could be true. You've got to be careful with all these things. But this is exactly where Peter goes, straight to this place. He lays out these facts, and he lays them out purposely so they arouse guilt. And you know why? Because sometimes we are galvanized and callous to our guilt. We've never looked at it. We've never been held accountable for it. We've had people that just say yes to us all the time, or coddle us all the time, or tell us what we want to hear all the time. We didn't have parents who told us the truth, who held our feet to the fire. We didn't have any of that, and then loved us too. Maybe we had some that would do that and then wouldn't love us, so then we didn't want to receive it. But they, these, these folks, it appeared, didn't get much of this. And so until a person knows and owns and accepts the bad news about themselves and their guilt before God, they can't really know or own or accept the good news of what God has graciously done for them and the sacrifice he made to free and save them from sin. They can't accept that because they don't care. If you don't think you're sick, you don't care about being healed, right? If you don't, if you don't know you're a sinner, why do you need to be saved? Correct? Right. And so this is what he does. He launches in. He launches in. And I want you to know something. As he launches in, he launches in with facts. Christianity is always built upon facts. Amen. Why does the world try to argue that argument that we're based on fantasy and, and we're biased and they're not? I mean, i got to be careful because I just get riled up. That is so much, you know what, it's unbelievable. If you want, see, that's what we do if we're in debates, right? If we can't really give a good answer, we attack the credibility of the, the other speaker. And, and that's what happens a lot of times. They attack us, but we're built on facts. Our faith is built on facts. I want you to consider these indisputable facts that Peter listed before these people who had gathered. And he listed them, and they knew they were tr- it was true. These people were there. They understood. They couldn't deny it. And here are the facts. And I want you to listen, as, as he listed these facts, in chapter 3, I don't know if you noticed it, I want you to consider, what did God do and what did people do? What did God do and what did man do? Here's the first thing Peter says. Your God that you worship glorified his servant Jesus. Jesus was his servant, and he glorified him. Who has ever been raised from the dead? And who has, there's only one who ever has, and there's only one who's ever raising anybody from the dead. It, it has always been God's servants. And Jesus was one of them. And he says, but you, what did you do? You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him. 
That's what God's people did to Jesus, God's Messiah. Number two, the pagan ruler, Pilate, judged him as innocent and wanted to let him go. But what did you do, people that are here worshiping in this temple? You disowned the holy and righteous one, and you asked for the release of a murderer instead. That's what those religious people did. They hadn't really looked at it that way, did they? They thought they were better than that. Oh, we would never do that. Well, yeah, that's what you did. You killed the author of life. How would you like that as your moniker? You killed the author of life. But what did God do? He raised him from the dead. That's what God did. And you know what 1 Corinthians 15 says, and what these people also understood is 500 plus witnesses saw him over 40 days after his resurrection. There was talk about the fact that he was, he was resurrected and was alive. And people had seen him. They heard that. They knew that. And some of them actually saw him. By faith, lastly, by faith in the name of Jesus, Peter says, this former lame beggar stands healed before you now. You, however, are betrayers. You were murderers. You were faithless. You do not deserve the generous healing grace of the Messiah you rejected and murdered. Do you think Peter got their attention? Now? Do you think he aroused some guilt? Now? I don't know about you, but it was only until I saw myself as a sinner that needed to be saved by grace that I come to the Lord and look at him as an option. When I thought I was doing fine as my own God and Lord and Master, I wasn't interested. When I thought that I could save myself, I wasn't interested. When I realized there was a God who I was rebelling against and who I had neglected and, and had shined on like he was unimportant, now I started feeling this sense of need and of guilt. And then when I started seeing how I was using and misusing other people and taking responsibility for hurting them, taking responsibility for the sins I had against them, when I started seeing that, oh my gosh. Because there was a time when I didn't see it. I actually had people who were, were of a church in our produce business who came up to me and said, the way you talked to your mother and to people in the Old Testament, they would have killed you. They actually told me that. They took me aside and told me that. You should be put to death because you are such a belligerent, rebellious young man. <laughs> I signed him on! I didn't care! Oh, what do you know? Until the day I realized that's what I was. And I had to say, I need saved. I need to be delivered. I wonder, I was... I was I hate to say it, I was called that more than once. I, I think I, I shook the cage of some adults in my life, but uh, I wonder if they are amazed now that I'm a pastor. <laughs> Preaching the gospel I once rejected. <laughs> I always wonder what they would say. Praise the Lord. 
And you too, what some people would say about you. So here we are. Wow, it's hard. It's harsh. It's a lot to take in. But those were the facts. Those were the facts. Facts are the basis upon which Christianity and our faith always rests. These things happen. These people couldn't deny it. Yet Peter didn't hit them with these facts because he wanted to judge them or rub their nose in it. That's the reality. He didn't do that because he wanted to rub their nose in it. Rather, he shared it to them because he wanted to make them aware of their guilt and their need. They had to become aware of their guilt and their need. A person's, like I said before, is not interested in being healed until they know they're sick. We're not interested in the truth until we realize that we're wrong and we believe the lie. We're not interested in being forgiven until we know that we've sinned and our guilt and, and, and that we're under the penalty of death for that. Now we want to deal with forgiveness. Peter aroused this guilt because he knew there was a solution for their problem. There is a solution for all of our problems. Thank God, that's the good news of the gospel. And there's a solution for your problem today if that's you. If you're stuck in your sin, if you've never accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross, I'm here to tell you there's only one Lord, and there's only been one in history, and there's only one that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, we were talking. You know, what about people say, well, I don't believe that. Well, we have, what about if you're wrong? Well, then they might ask us, what about if you're wrong, Christian? Well, if we're wrong, all we do is live a better life, right? And treat people better. And, and we, we haven't lost anything, but what if you are wrong, atheist? What, are you, what if you are wrong, person who's following another major religion and has another lord and master? What happens to you if you're wrong? Because there's been no one else who said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. What if you're wrong? What happens to you? Well, I wouldn't want to be you if you rejected the grace that's been offered you in Christ. I wouldn't want to be you. See, we don't have anything to lose if you want to base it just on logic. We have everything to gain. Our critics have a lot to lose. But until we know we're a sinner, until we know our guilt, until we realize what Peter is saying there, we don't care about the gospel. We need to pray for people to have that revelation and understand that. The Lord wants us to. Well, there's a third thing. Now Peter explains to them this solution for their sin and their guilt and, and, and how really God has responded and treats people who are weighed down by sin and guilt. And you're going to get a kick out of this. This is great. Because think about it. It's not how we in our flesh want to respond to people that are guilty and, and full of sin. But look how God, God does, how he responds. First, in verse 16, Peter offers them healing through faith in the name of Jesus. He just told them, all you guys are scumbags and did all this, but there is healing in the name of Jesus, if you put your faith in it. God would give that to them? Oh, yes, he would. See, that's one of the takeaways the crowd wants to get from the dramatic from this dramatic healing of this lame beggar, they could all see the transformation in healing before them. And Peter announced, it's in the name of Jesus and the faith that comes through him that this man is completely healed, as you can all see. And they knew this man had been 40. He, he had been, been lame from birth. 
You've been lost. But all that has changed today. All that is different. He's healed on the inside. He's healed on the outside. The reason this happened, because Peter is saying, this can happen to you. God wants you to know this can happen for you. This is how God treats broken and guilty people who repent, who put their faith in Jesus. This is how he treats them. He heals them. He begins to transform them. He, give, he writes their name in the Lamb book of, of life. He gives them eternal life. He prepares a place for them. That's how the God of the universe treats guilty people. We should treat them that way too. We should treat them that way too and know that God loves them. God loves them. But we also, here's second, God realizes your limitations and your ignorance even when you don't. And he does. And that's what, what Peter begins to show as we move on in verse 17. Peter assures them that God and he knows that they acted in ignorance and how they treated Jesus. And they did not understand all that they were doing. Doesn't that echo back to what Jesus said on the cross? When he was dying on the cross before his last breath, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was his last prayer. Yeah, sure they knew they were killing him. Sure they knew they hated him. Sure they knew they were trying to stamp him out. But they didn't realize it was God's plan to save them. That they didn't realize who God really was. They didn't see. And if people treat you like that, it's because they don't realize that either. They don't, they don't realize the truth. They're missing it. With this said, our ignorance does not make us less responsible for our sinful acts and guilt. Ignorance of the law doesn't, doesn't give you any kind of cushion from being executed by the law, right? And having the penalty of the law. Yes, this is how God treats ignorant and limited people who are stuck in their sin and brokenness. This is how he treats them. He seeks to save them. He seeks to reach them. And then when they turn to him in faith, he'll wipe out their sin so that times of refreshing can come. That's how God treats guilty, broken people. And third, God is giving you, he's giving them, He's giving everyone who hears facts in the form of Bible promises kept. He's giving us facts in the form of teachers and prophets who he sent our way to explain God's word and what he's doing. And he's giving us facts by examples of miracles that he's allowed to happen in our life or around our life or in our church. And he gives that to us so that he can get our attention so that he can cause us to evaluate our hard-held perspectives on ourselves and life and to inspire us to repent from our wicked ways and trust him. He does all these things. That's what God does. So this miracle that he did was not just for this lame man. And he knew that. It was for all those who had gathered in worship who were lost and misguided. And then their miracles... And their faith were for others that would come after them. That's the way it works for you and I. God just doesn't give you an answer just for you, but that answer is to encourage and inspire others in your relationship pod as well as the church. 
When, dead, when God does a miracle, he's meant that miracle to have ripple effects through the church, into the community, into families that go well beyond. Don't you know, right? We have to see that. My faith is not just my faith. It's, it's God's faith as well, and it's to be used in his hand for the future. When you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, your family line changed. It changed for the better. And it's going on a whole other trajectory now because that blessing continues, that healing continues. And we need to see that and let that happen. So in those three steps, Peter explains God's heart and he explains his plan in Scripture. God wants to build his kingdom and he says his kingdom of God will grow until it fills the whole earth. Until that time... He comes back. So let's be a part of that. And let's see it as such. Amen? We're going to come to a conclusion here. And so Jason's going to come up. But this crowd that was listening to Peter, as well as you and I, here's the deal, though. When we hear the gospel, and we we realize I'm a guilty sinner and I need to be saved, or we realize I have a great need, and I need God's grace and his blessing and his healing. I have to choose to repent. You have to choose to repent. And we have to receive this blessing of God's love and his plan if it's going to do any good for us. To experience it just in our heads, to leave it at the table, to stand at the line and never cross over, that, you don't go anywhere. You don't get anything. But if you take the step to commit and come and receive and act and repent, which means you go a different direction, then it opens up a whole another reality for you and me. This morning, I'm here to tell you that God wants to wipe out the sin in your life. If you're struggling with sin and you need to confess some sin, God wants to wipe it out and he wants to bring you deliverance this morning. He wants to bring you who are struggling, he wants to bring you time of refreshing to you because that's where God wants to go. But it comes through repentance and it comes through laying your burden at his feet. He wants to heal in the name of Jesus and in the faith that comes through him. You can pray the prayer of faith if somebody hears the Lord speak and say, if you'll go, I'll do it. Is the Lord speaking to you? Do you need healing in some way? If you come and you believe it, I'll I'll pray in faith with you. I'll join you that it may be done in the name of Jesus. So the question this morning for us is, will we repent? Will we respond in faith to him? Like I said before, Acts 4.4 tells us that the men who believed it rose to about 5,000, from 3 to 5,000, in addition to women and children. So come up front for prayer. I want you to stand with me right now. And I want you to come in faith for prayer if you need to. And I want you to add to that number of people who believed and were saved, or those people who believed and were healed, or those people who believed and received God's blessing in any way he needs to bring it to you today, that refreshing, that blessing you come so as jason leads us in worship you come and you're welcome to bring anybody with you to come and pray with you but you come amen
Let's respond.